Well, this past January, NASA sent out a press release that they had been conducting a twin study. You see, NASA has been sending astronauts into space for quite a while, and, and they know that it, this space has effects on the human body. But what they wanted to know was, does space affect humans down at the DNA level? And what better way to test this than to send one identical twin to space and let the other one remain on Earth and then compare the difference? So they sent Scott, the guy without the mustache, off into space. He spent almost a year on the International Space Station while his brother Mark remained here on Earth. Well, after his year, Scott came back and they tested his DNA. And sure enough, there were some changes. Now, there are some reports that it, the DNA itself had changed, and I found a clarification from NASA. His DNA did not change. The expression of the DNA had changed. But rather than just publish the results immediately, they kind of wanted to wait and see if space affected it while he was in space, would then Earth affect it kind of back? Would he revert back to his previous expression? Well, most of it did revert. About 93% went back to normal, which means 7% did not change. 7% of the expression of Scott Kelly's DNA is now different than his identical twin brother. Meaning you could look at both of them and they, they're going to look like brothers. And yet underneath, Scott is different than Mark. Something unseen is going on. NASA is calling it space genes. Really original name, huh? Well, there are 7 billion people on Earth. Out of those 7 billion, only about 550 have actually gone to space, which means 99.99999% of us will never experience space genes. However, I suspect that out of the 7 billion people, almost everyone has some unseen things going on. Have you ever known someone to go through a, a tragic event? Like maybe they were abused as a child or they lost a loved one or maybe they were in some really bad accident or, or they went through a series of miscarriages and this tragedy changed them. Now, some people, when they, when they come through those tragedies, they actually emerge stronger. But some people, they come out of it feeling far more broken. I remember one of my high school classmates, she had this really talkative, bubbly personality and it was almost like overnight someone flipped a switch and she just became incredibly withdrawn, went into a deep depression. And then we all found out she'd gotten pregnant by her boyfriend and had been pressured into an abortion. That moment changed her. Maybe you've had something like that happen. Maybe it was the pain of the divorce. Maybe it was the pain of a rejection. Maybe it was the, the pain of cancer. Maybe it was the pain of your past. Well, on the outside, you might look like yourself. Underneath, you know that there's some unseen thing. You feel it, and it feels like a permanent change. Today is Easter Sunday. Today is when, around our nation, people are celebrating spring. They're, they're celebrating this new life. And so we decorate in bright colors and Easter eggs and bunnies and flowers. And, and we'll go and we'll eat some yummy food and probably have some chocolate. You know, we, today's kind of a holiday. But for Christians, it's more than just the celebration of new life springing out of the deadness of winter, which I think Mother Nature didn't realize that's what we're supposed to be celebrating today. Today is her April Fool's joke, I think, on us. 
But for Christians, today is the celebration of Jesus springing forth out of the grave, fully alive after the torturous death on a cross. This is what we've gathered to do. However, that event was not an unseen event. It it was very seen. Jesus, after his death, he rises again on the third day and he appears to his disciples. He appears to some of the women, some of his followers. They saw him. They touched him. They they realized he's alive. And then the Apostle Paul even tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that over 500 people saw the risen Jesus. So if Jesus was trying to keep this a secret, he did a lousy job. It was a very seen event. But that seen event actually points to an unseen event. You see, the seen physical resurrection of Jesus points to a spiritual truth, a spiritual resurrection that I believe God offers to all of you. And when you understand the story and make it the center of who you are, you are changed. You become spiritually resurrected. And while you may not notice it on the outside, something unseen has happened in you and it changes everything. My hope and prayer is that some of you today will leave here encouraged, knowing that Jesus not only died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins to repair your relationship with your creator, but that his resurrection means something happens in you. And today will be a glorious day. So Father, I just pray right now as we get ready to jump into the scriptures that you would ultimately be our teacher today. You've gathered these people and you knew that they were going to be here. You knew that this was the message they were going to hear. So I pray right now for anyone who does not have their faith in you, that you would help them to not harden their heart right now against you, but that perhaps you want them to hear this. And so you would soften their hearts, you would open their eyes, and today would be the day of their rebirth, their spiritual resurrection. I pray for anyone who is here today who's been going through a really difficult time, that today as they hear this, as they hear what you have done on the spiritual level, that it would actually encourage them and it would help to change their perspective. And rather than seeing themselves as a victim of the things in this life, they would begin to go around realizing that they are your child and it changes how they interact in this life. And so, Father, I just sense the weight of this. There are people all over the spiritual map in this room. And so that's why I'm asking that you be the one to teach them ultimately, that it wouldn't be about what I want to say. It's about what you need to say to each and every heart here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible with you today, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, don't worry. I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen uh, for you. Um, If you need, I I would encourage you, if you do not own a Bible and would like one, we have two different translations back on our Give and Grow table. Simply ask me or maybe one of our ushers afterwards, and we'll find the translation that's going to fit you the best. We'd love for you to get into it on a regular basis, read it every single day, and allow God's word to begin to change you. Uh, If you have a smartphone, we also encourage you, pull that out. You can use that this morning. Uh, We're not going to accuse you of surfing Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, If you don't have a Bible on your phone, there's several free ones out there. We encourage you, get one, download it. That way you always have a Bible with you. All right, so you can either be like me and be old school, or you can be hip and cool like my wife and use a digital Bible, and uh, then you can read that one all the time. Ephesians 2, we're going to do verses 1 through 6 today, so let me read that. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you hearing all that just maybe got a glazed look over your eyes and you're just thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Like, today's a holiday. Like, we should be just kind of relaxing. I was planning a yummy meal at home. I was going to sit and watch a movie or, you know, some sports. I was going to play some games with the family. And then this guy up front starts reading this thick theological passage out of the scriptures. And he's expecting me to think. And so you want me to apologize right now? Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize. I think I just did. Um, I, first of all, think you can handle it. And second, I think that these theological truths— are what's going to actually make today your glorious day. You need to hear this. I, I don't feel comfortable just giving you some fluff to kind of make you feel really good when we could do something to dig down deeper and truly help you see the gospel. And so I want to dig in with you. So don't sit back and just glaze over the eyes. I want you to lean in because I think God has something here for you. And it starts right out of the gate there in verse one. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, if you're paying attention and you really look at that, you start realizing, wait, is he talking about the walking dead? No, he's not talking about a TV show about zombies. That, that reminds me of a story of one of my friends. Uh, his name's Josh. Uh, when my family lived in Kansas City, Josh worked at the church where I was working. And Josh also had a part-time job. Well, Josh decided to start a Bible study. And a bunch of his coworkers at his other job heard about it. They didn't go to church. They weren't Jesus followers. And yet they were curious about the Bible. They really liked Josh. And so they invited themselves over to his Bible study. And pretty soon, Josh, who at that time was just a single guy, was filling up his living room in his apartment with people, many of whom had never read the Bible before. And so Josh realized, man, if we've got all these people who don't know the Bible, maybe we should start with some of the key stories. And so I think it was in literally like the, the second week, third week, they did the Easter story. They looked at the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Well, after a great discussion and eating a bunch of food, they began to clean up and people slowly began to file out. And one of Josh's coworkers stuck around and he was helping Josh, you know, clean everything up. But it was kind of obvious that this coworker had a question. And, and so Josh kind of, you know, probes and, and the guy says, okay, so let me get this straight. You say that Jesus dies on a cross, but rose again from the dead. So does that mean Jesus is a zombie? He was totally serious. And so Josh had to explain, no, 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 no. He's not the walking dead. He really came back to life. That that heart on the cross completely stopped. That Jesus actually, he actually asphyxiated on the cross. And yet, just to make sure he was dead, they took a spear and stabbed it up in his side into his heart. And the scriptures say that blood and water pour forth. Uh, medical experts say that that is a condition that can happen after someone dies. And so this was just evidence. He truly had died on the cross. And so they put the body in the tomb and they sealed it up thinking he's done. It's over. That's why it was such a miracle. 
that a couple days later, Jesus comes forth out of that tomb, heart beating again, lungs being filled with air. He starts walking. He starts talking. He sees people that could touch him. He was alive. So no, Jesus was not a zombie. But Paul is saying that you were a zombie. You were a spiritual zombie. Because you were walking around physically, but spiritually you were dead. Paul gets this theological concept from the book of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, you see God say to himself, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three of them huddle up together and they say, okay, we've created all these really cool things. But now let's create the pinnacle of creation. Let us make man in our image. We're going to imbue this image upon him and he will have will and intellect and personality. And, and then we'll set him up to care over all of creation. And we're even going to send him out to create like we create. He won't be a God but he will be like us because our image will be in him. And so then God gives Adam the tour of the Garden of Eden. And he says, Adam, I want you to take care of this. I want you to eat of any of this fruit except for one. That tree right over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit is off limits. Everything else is yours. That one is a no. So they only had one rule. And yet Adam and Eve broke that one rule. They rebelled against God. They ate of that forbidden fruit. And as soon as they did, as soon as they sunk their teeth into that fruit, sin came crashing into the created order. Now, God had told Adam, if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And that's part of where the trickery happened. Because Satan, when he tempts Eve, goes, oh, no, 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 you won't die. She takes the bite and oh, sure enough, she didn't die. And so she hands the fruit to Adam and he eats well, God didn't kill them immediately physically. He allowed them to face the natural consequences of sin. They eventually did die, even though they weren't supposed to. But in the moment of their sin, the image within them was broken. It was fractured. And that was their spiritual death. You see, God as a creator is a life giver. He creates life. But when the image of him within humans was marred with sin, they no longer had that life within them. They became spiritually dead. That's why Paul says, and you were once dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked. Now, I realize that this flies right in the face of our culture. I, I feel like our cultural mantra is follow your heart. And there's times where follow your heart seems to be really good advice. I mean, even I've given that advice. I mean, I've talked to people and they've got kind of this big decision. Do I take this job or do I stay with this one? And sometimes I'll just say, what's your gut say? Because sometimes I just think that they already know the right answer for themselves. And yet, if we take this too far, just follow your heart. It leads us into sin. <laughs> do you realize we have a Me Too movement right now? Because a bunch of guys followed their heart. Our prisons are full of people who followed their heart. You see, when you follow your heart, it leads you right into your selfish, earthly passions. That's some of what Paul talks about there in verse 2. So Paul is saying, don't follow your heart. To follow your heart reveals your spiritual deadness. 
You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You were born with this sin nature. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit, every human ever since has been born spiritually dead. It's like they come out of a physical womb, but they're born into a spiritual tomb. And if you try to tell someone in our culture, no, you you probably shouldn't follow your heart on this. It sounds like you're being judgmental. You're closed-minded. They might yell at you. They might ignore you. It just seems wrong. But Paul is not being a closed-minded fundamentalist here. Because I want you to notice what he does. Down in verse 3. He says, Among whom we all once lived. Paul is not saying, Oh yeah, those people out there. He's not sitting in some righteous judgment saying, yeah, man, that group of people, that political party, that type of person, oh, God's wrath is against them. No, he is saying God is against the spiritually dead because they are his enemies. And I am the chief of sinners. I was one of them. I am no better than anyone else. And you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, if you, you were born spiritually dead, so therefore you also were in this lot. He basically lumps all of humanity together. That's why when he wrote to the church in Rome, in uh, Romans 3.23, he said that all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. He's not trying to say that, you know, us, certain Christians, certain denominations, certain tribes, that we're better than others. Nope. We're all into this together. We all were dead in our sin. And so if you're feeling like Paul's trying to insult you, I I want you to realize Paul's saying, nope, I'm right there with you. I am no better than you. Kind of depressing on Easter Sunday, huh? Thankfully, Paul does not stay there. He does not sit in this. He makes a turn, and the turn is in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice how he starts the turn. Two words, but God. I want you to sit in that for just a moment. I want you to realize what those two words mean. Paul started this off with the words, and you. And he starts off by talking about our spiritual state, how we were spiritually dead. Dead people can't do anything. I have yet to officiate a funeral be standing up in front of a casket and suddenly have the death person set up and go, man, this dead stuff's boring. Let's get back to living. No, dead people can't make decisions. Dead people can't raise themselves. Dead people are just dead. Which means when you are in your spiritual deadness, it doesn't matter how much you try to do in your religion. It doesn't matter how many good works you try to do. It doesn't matter how much you read and try to learn and gain all this knowledge. You're spiritually dead. But God, but God can raise you. But God, the giver of life, the creator of all things, who is capable of raising himself from the dead, is capable of raising your spirit from the dead as well. 
That's what Paul is getting at here. And what he does to try and help us understand this wonderful theological concept, he ties the spiritual resurrection to the physical resurrection of Jesus. And so I want you to notice that with me. The first thing he points out in verse 5 is that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you are saved. This is a work of God. He says later in this passage that it's his work, not ours, so that no one can boast, so that he gets the glory and we get the joy of having our spirits risen from the dead. He makes us alive. I wish so much I could have been in that tomb. The, the body is laying, you know, possibly on like a table. Maybe it's just on the floor. I mean, Jesus' body had went through so much. I mean, he was whipped all over the back. It was just put into shreds, had a crown of thorns jammed onto his head. There probably would have been a bunch of scarring, nails driven through the wrist and through the feet. And then that spear up to the side, which guaranteed the heart was stilled. And all of a sudden on that third day, there would have been the moment. <sighs> the breath coming into the lungs. The heart starts to beat again. Blood begins to course back through the body. Jesus was alive. It was an absolute miracle. And just as miraculous is the ability of God to raise you from the spiritual dead. If you are a follower of Jesus, there was a moment when your eyes were opened, you realized it was true, and your spirit went, and a spiritual heartbeat began within you. But Jesus didn't just lay on that table or that floor, now breathing, alive. It says next that he was raised up. Notice in verse 6 that God raised us up with him. That just as Jesus was physically raised up, we were spiritually raised up. And, and I see this in two ways. First, Jesus got up off of the table and he began to walk. Likewise, I think that we spiritually are to get up out of our tomb, spiritual tomb, and we are to go walk into this world and make a difference. Have you ever seen a sports movie where the you know, main character, you're following him along and he faces all these tragedies and, and trials and, and obstacles, and then the game comes. And, and you know, it's the last second in the football game or the last second in the basketball game. And suddenly he shoots the three-pointer. He scores the winning touchdown. He hits the game-winning home run. And the crowd goes wild and the team rushes onto the field. And they might tackle the guy. And then all of a sudden they pick him up and they put him on their shoulders. They raise him up. Because Jesus went through the cross willingly for us, God raised him up. Paul describes it this way in a letter to a, a church in the, the ancient city of Philippi. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In other words, he raised him up so that the spotlight could be put on Jesus and say, look, he won. When God makes you spiritually alive, your spirit doesn't just take in that breath. You also are, in a sense, raised up. That's why Jesus says that there is a celebration, a party going on in heaven when any time one of God's lost ones are found. If you're feeling discouraged, you need to hear that God loves you and he wants to throw a party for you. 
He had put his image in you. That image had been marred because of sin. And that made him mad. Not mad at you, mad at sin. And so Jesus went to a cross so that your sin could be paid for and you could come out of your spiritual grave and find life. And so if you're beating yourself up, stop it. You are so valuable. You are worth the blood of Jesus. He came for you. And he wants you to not just be spiritually alive. He wants to raise you up because he wants to use you. This world desperately needs people who will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And that means you have to get your eye of sight off of yourself and start looking and see. So God, what do you want to do through me? Because he wants to make you alive and raise you up. But that's not all. He wants to do one more thing that he ties to the physical resurrection. Of Christ, just as Jesus was made alive and raised up, he says there in verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That God seated us with him. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this that, that we are to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And why now? Because he endured the cross. He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because Jesus went through that, God exalted him and put him in his rightful position. Jesus is the son of God. He deserves the throne. He is the king of the kingdom of God. But you, when you are raised, made to life, raised up, and now seated with him, it doesn't mean you become the king. It means your identity is tied to him, to the king. And it's a recognition of your identity being as a citizen of heaven, which then changes how you interact in this life. You're no longer just someone who's here on earth interacting with, you know, reacting to everything that's coming at you. It's now, no, I'm a citizen of heaven. I am seated with Christ. And so therefore, I can go out and be a blessing. And yeah, it stinks when I lost my job. It stinks that they left me. It stinks that my loved one died in a car accident. It really stinks that I now have cancer. And yet, my position does not change. I am seated with Christ. So that no matter what happens in this earth, I'm secure. I'm fine. And God can still use me. God wants to raise you from the spiritual dead. He wants to make you alive. He wants to raise you up. He wants to seat you with Christ. None of that is seen. It's all unseen. It happens at the spiritual level. And yet when that becomes your reality, this Easter story becomes your story, it can become a permanent change. When my family and I lived in Kansas City, I met a guy named Pat. When I met Pat, he would have described himself as a deist. A a deist is someone who believes that there is a God, but that this God is no longer involved in the workings of this world. Uh, Pat's illustration was this. God was like a watchmaker. He made the watch, got it going, and now he's no longer involved. The watch just ticks on its own. That's how Pat viewed life spiritually. But some personal circumstances caused Pat to begin to search, and he began to ask spiritual questions. And because he knew I was a pastor, he asked if we could get together. And so one night, we headed to this uh, pizza restaurant that also had a bar, And we were there so long, they kicked us out of the restaurant portion and sent us over to the bar. And I remember the night very vividly because it was the day that Steve Jobs of Apple had passed away. And as the news behind the bar was talking about this guy, Steve Jobs, here we were having a conversation about the life and death of Jesus. 
Now, I wish I could say that I answered all of Pat's questions so brilliantly that Pat walked out that night with newfound faith in Jesus. But he went home with still a lot of questions, a lot of doubts. And so I gave him my phone number and I said, hey, text me or call me anytime. I want to help you on this spiritual journey. Well, next morning I was walking my son to the bus stop to get on the bus for school. And a text came in from Pat saying, hey, call me when you can. So I thought, all right, Pat's got another spiritual question. So I walk home, and it was a beautiful day, and I, I stepped out on our deck, and I, I call. And immediately, there is excitement in his voice. And his first words were, Aaron, I get it. I get it. It all makes sense. And he began to just tell me how he got up out of bed, still kind of talking to God, asking these questions, wrestling through everything. And then all of a sudden, this moment happened, and it all made sense. And he said in that moment, he began to both cry and laugh at the same time because he realized it was true. Jesus really was the son of God who came down to earth, died on a cross for the forgiveness of his sins, but rose again from the dead and now offering this spiritual life to him. And Pat was overwhelmed. The night before, he didn't get it. Then all of a sudden, God helps his spirit to go, and it made sense. Pat and I got together a couple days later. And I walked in. He still looked like Pat. There was a big smile on his face. But there wasn't this huge change. He didn't suddenly grow tons of muscles. He, he didn't just suddenly have the whole Bible memorized. He, he, he didn't, you know, change like drastically like that. And yet when we sat down for lunch, and we finished eating, we then opened up our Bibles. And we began to just read the book of Romans. The book of Romans is this thick theological treatise on the gospel. It's like Paul's dissertation of what is really, truly important. Some people, they just feel overwhelmed by the book of Romans. And yet I made Pat read aloud. And as Pat is reading there aloud in this Vietnamese restaurant, I still remember him all of a sudden reading and going, oh, I get it. I get it. And he'd begin to regurgitate in his own words what we had just read. And I could only sit back and realize the only way he could see that and understand it it's because he's now spiritually alive. I want past story to be your story. It's going to be different. You're probably not going through the same personal issues Pat was going through. I don't know of any lawyers in the room like Pat is. And yet, God has been writing Pat's story in millions of lives ever since the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So that's why today I invite you would you place your faith into Jesus? Would you let this Easter story not just be some story from antiquity? May it be your story today. That you would realize that you were a sinner, you were spiritually dead, and yet Jesus went to a cross to die for those sins so the penalty could be paid, so that God's mercy could then be shown to you. But just as Jesus physically came out of a grave alive, you could come out of your spiritual grave spiritually alive. And if you place your, your faith in this story, you put all of your trust there, you are made alive, God raises you up, and you become seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Everything changes. And when this story becomes the fuel and motivation for how you live life, it'll change you like it changed Pat. 
It will change your relationships. It could change marriages. It can change parents, uh, your, your, your relationship with your kids as you parent. It can change your, jo- your uh, relation with coworkers at work. It even can change how you approach work. Now, it's not a magic pill. It doesn't just suddenly make the marriage come back together. Pastor ended up divorced. It doesn't suddenly give you the job, but now it gives you hope. It no longer erases all of your past, but it now helps you see how God can use that past to move you into the future. So today, will you let the Spirit of God descend upon you and make this your birthday? When Jesus was having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus, this Nicodemus was like Pat. He didn't get it. He's asking all these questions. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And that didn't make sense to to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, wait a second. How can a grown guy like me climb back into my mother's womb? This doesn't make sense. Jesus wanted him to see, you got to be physically born. But you also have to be spiritually born. You need a second birthday. I pray that right now for some of you, Easter Sunday, April 1st, 2018, is your spiritual birthday. And if today's your spiritual birthday, welcome to the family. And I'm glad that I got to celebrate with you in your glorious day. And so, Father, I just pray right now for anyone who is here that does not have their faith in you. And yet, as I've been talking, they've sensed it's you talking to them. That this has no longer been about my words. That your Holy Spirit is speaking your words to them. And in their heart and their mind, they sense you asking them, calling them, saying, you're my child. Their eyes have been opened. They are taking a spiritual breath. Father, I pray that right now you'd hear their prayer. That they would pray something like this. God, I realize that I am a sinner. That I was born spiritually dead. And yet you, Jesus, came for me so that I could have spiritual life. And so, Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I now give my life to follow you. Father, I want Jesus to be the center of who I am. I want his story to be my story. So, Father, I pray right now as you're bringing those people to yourself, that they would just have the sense that they are now made alive. You are going to be raising them up, and they are going to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ so that you might mold and shape that image within them that was marred and broken and cracked through sin, and you will restore that image within them so that they too will go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So Father, I pray that right now, every single person in this room would have their eyes upon Christ, this man who was willing to go to the cross, endure its shame so that we might have life. And I even pray for those in this room that have known the story for a long time, even have have made the story a big part of who they are, and yet they've lost sight of it. That today they would sense you saying, come home, come back to me. Let me be the air in your lungs. Let me be everything about you. Let me be your God and your King. And that right now they'd bow their knee and their heart before you, allowing you to be their ruler, their everything. So God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. And we celebrate that the cross wasn't the end of the story, that you came out. And so therefore it means that our spiritual deadness is not the end of our story, that we 
can come out. So, Father, as we uh, finish in song, uh, as we get prepared to leave this place, as we go out, will you use us for your kingdom, for your glory? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.